Well, good morning, Summit family. I'm Brian Agavino, the lead pastor here. It's great to have you here as we conclude our series on the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Would you guys pray with me as we dive in this morning? Let's pray. Awesome God, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a book called Nine Marks of a Church. It's actually a really good book. It kind of lays out some different thoughts and ideas about what should define a church or what should a church look like. And there's lots of great things in this book about leadership, about vision, about your polity, which is how you structure your church, about what you teach, about evangelism. And we're actually, our fiscal year runs September 1 to August 31st. That's why we're having a members meeting tonight to kind of celebrate what happened in this last year and then talk more specifically about what's coming up for us, where we're headed as a church. And a book like that can be really helpful to kind of assess, evaluate, and do all these different things about who we are and how we're doing and those kinds of things. These last couple weeks as I've been preparing for this sermon, I was really struck by what wasn't in that book. Now I love this book, it's very helpful. I've read it actually a couple times. But my question would be this to you, if you were going to say, what should be a mark of a church, you might come up with a few of those things that I just suggested, but I was pondering and wondering, should how we love be one of the things we measure? Should how we think about how we love one another, about how we love those who aren't a part of our church? I mean, shouldn't love be one of the most important measures that we think about? I mean, it's straight out of Scripture, right? John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another, love for one another. So how do you think we're doing? (laughs) I mean, if we were to measure our love and being loving, how would you say we're doing as a church? Well, today, we, like I said, we're wrapping up our series on fruition. And interestingly enough, because of some circumstances, we took the first one and we're doing it here at the end. And I think it actually works out quite perfectly to end with the first one. Let me read for us just one more time Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I love lists. I, I don't know, are there list people in here? I, yes, we are. I love lists. And, you know, Way back in the day, I had a Franklin. Do you guys know what a Franklin was? It was like this paper thing that you could had your dates on it, and it was on the left side was a calendar, on the right side was your sheet, and you could put all your to-dos on there. And I had all my to-dos. And then after that, the Palm Pilot came out. You guys remember the Palm Pilot? Yes, I had the Palm Pilot. And what is a Palm Pilot? The Palm Pilot was just a to-do list. It was amazing. 
And then, you know, we got into smartphones, which I never got. I could never do my to-do list on a smartphone until one day Jonathan Abishan, our worship minister here, he introduced me to an app called To-Doodle-Do, which I'm not here to sell To-Doodle-Do to you, but I'm going to tell you To-Doodle-Do is the best to-do list on the market, which I use to this day. It is amazing because I love lists. And here's what I know about lists. If you're good at lists, then you know to put the most important thing on your list at the top. So when you're going to the grocery store, if you know what is the most important thing, you put that at the top of your list, you want to make sure that you get it. Lists matter, and what's most important is usually first. And I would argue that this list this morning that we've been talking about for 10 weeks, the first thing on the list is the most important, the most significant, the most impacting part. And so today, we're going to talk about love, because love is critical, and Scripture would back me up on this. Love is crucial to what it means to be a Christian. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14 says this, And above all things, put on love, which binds all of them, everything, and Paul was just talking about all these different virtues of being a Christian, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So the picture here that Paul's saying is he's saying, listen, Love cover it is everything. It's the thing that holds everything together. We have, I'm an Agavino, I'm Italian. We have a famous Agavino spaghetti sauce that a few of you have had the privilege of eating before. Some of you hound me because you haven't had the opportunity to eat it. And in this recipe, we have, which my mother has perfected, the perfect ultimate meatball. And in this recipe of meatballs, I put all these things together in there. I put some meat, I put some Parmesan cheese, I put some breadcrumbs, I put some minced onion, and I put some parsley flakes. That's the recipe. And there's one thing that if you don't put it in there will ruin your sauce because the meatball will totally break up and make it a meat sauce and not a marinara sauce. And if it's not a marinara sauce, it's not worth eating. So I... That one thing that holds all those things together is an egg. Got to have an egg. Thank you. Sarah was right with me. She even knew what it was. The egg makes the meatball make sense and all hold together. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, if you want to be a Christian, you got to be a meatball. I mean, you got to be an egg, right? No, no. Okay. I was like, what? I lost my train there. All right, we're back. Got to be an egg because it holds all things together. Because what does love do? Love holds all things together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter that we hear many times at weddings and in different places, it's, it's more significant than just a wedding passage. I want to read the first and the last verse of this chapter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1, I'll read from the screen. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And, and the picture here Paul's painting, we, we may not totally grasp it because we're not from Corinth, but what Paul's doing here is he's preaching to the churches in Corinth is he's painting this picture for them that they would absolutely get that Corinth, they had this very famous marketplace 
where they would have lots of things that they sold that were like pots and pans and things made of metal and symbols and all of these things. And he's painting this picture for them where he's saying, you remember what it's like when you walk through the market and it was a little windy and everything was clanging together and making all this noise and then there, you were trying to talk to the merchant about how much did it cost and because these pots and pans were clanging together, they couldn't hear you. So you'd be saying, how much does it cost? And they'd say, what? And you'd say, how much does it cost? And they'd say, what? I won't do it again. It'd be too loud. So, But you get the point here. And what Paul's saying is, if you don't have love, it's like being in that marketplace. It, you can yell as loud as you want and it won't matter. Because love, it is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. It is basically the entry point. Like this is where it starts to being a Christian. If we don't have love, then we're nothing. And then maybe one of the most significant verses, some would argue the most important verse about God in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 4, 8, where John says it flat out, God is love. And I just want us to kind of sit in this for a minute here, this idea that God is love. Because how we experience God's love and who he is as love will shape everything about how we love. I absolutely believe that. That here, understanding that the essence of who God is is that he is love will determine and shape everything about how then we understand and experience and love ourselves. And so when we say that the fruit of the Spirit starts with love, we're saying it's the egg, it's the entry point, it's the essence of what being a Christian means. And so we should ask, are we loving? Are you loving? Well, let's dig deeper into the love of God to understand and better answer that question. I was thinking that if in some ways, this truly reveals the heart of God, that he is love. So let's define God's love here. Just dig into this. I just want you to kind of sit in this with me. Like, let's think about this concept that God is love. What does that mean? So I love the Greek language. The New Testament was primarily all Greek. It was the language back then in the first century. And in a lot of ways, the Greek language has multiple words for words that we use. So love is one of these examples. In the Bible, actually, there are four different words for love. In Greece, back in the first century, there were actually eight different words for the word love, but there's only four used here in Scripture. And the four are these. The one, one is eros, which is a romantic love. Another is storge, which is a familial love. Phileo is a brotherly love, right? Philadelphia, that's where that comes from, that we have a brotherly, sisterly love for one another like in the body of Christ. And then the fourth one used in Scripture, which is used here in the fruit of the Spirit, which is used in 1 John chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 13, and Colossians chapter 3, is agape love. Everyone say agape. Agape. Agape is the highest form of love. It is God's immeasurable, incomparable benevolent goodwill and delight towards his creation. It involves faithfulness, commitment, self-sacrifice. 
is an, and is an act of the will. It appears in the New Testament over 200 times and is what, when we read, we're reading this passage over and over, we've heard Galatians 5 tens of hundreds of times in these last weeks, and the fruit of the Spirit is love. Usually when we quote that verse, we even just say the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, da-da-da-da-da. But there, this, is, this love that the Spirit wants to bear in us as an aspect of this one fruit is love. And so there is so much we could dive into, but I want to I make three observations about what it means that God is love. And the first is this. God does not merely love. He is love itself. Now, this is a little bit complicated even for me on some levels, right? It's like God isn't, he doesn't just do acts of love. He is love. That's what the verse says. It's actually an important distinction here that we're making. So the way we think about it, it's hard to grasp in some ways because it's really an identity thing. Like the very essence, who God is, is that he is love. We, We often think about who are you, and we talk about what we do, like I'm a teacher, or I'm a mom, or a, that, and, and we describe ourselves by what we do, but to describe ourselves, our identity is who we are, and this is what this verse is telling us, that God just doesn't love, but this is who he is, it has to flow from him. So, you know, I could say, well, I'm a teacher, I'm a husband, I'm a runner, I'm a pastor, I'm a softball player, whatever I want, but that's not who I am, that's what I do, and, and what comes forth from us is easier to say than who we are. But this is what it means that God is love. It's not just something he does. It's the essence. He is the essence of love. Which means our second observation is that God's love is not turned on and turned off. This is important. Think about this with me just for a second. God's love is, is not turned on and turned off. Oftentimes, so for me, I think about you know, I can turn things on and off, even when it comes to a lot of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, right? That, well, if I'm, I'm bored, then I'm going to turn off self-control and be lazy. Or if I'm frustrated, right, I'm going to turn off patience, and that may display itself in anger, or disappointment, or whatever it is. And, and, and sometimes I think, I wonder if you're this way, Sometimes I think we feel like God turns off his love towards us. That, and this is how we know that, that when we feel like things are good in our lives, we're like, oh, yeah, God loves me. And we use words like, I'm blessed, you know, like God's blessing me right now. But then when things are bad, we're like, God must have turned that spigot off. I'll, I'd like him to, so what do we do? We pray, God, turn your love back on towards me. And it may be a, a, a subtle thing, but, but I would argue it's actually very important because what we need to understand about agape love and God's love towards us is that even when he is not pleased, he's still loving us. That even when God sees our sin and our struggles and our failures, and, and there is something that that we would know that that we might think, well, God isn't going to love me anymore now. Well, we have to remind ourselves, he is love. That's the essence of who he is. And because of that, 
It's, he doesn't just do loving things. No, no, he is love, and because he is that, he can't turn it on and off. He's always loving. Which leads to a third observation, which is this. He loves the unlovable and the unlovely, not because we deserve to be loved or because of any excellence we possess, but because it is his nature to love, and he must be true to his nature. I mean, don't we see this all over the life of Jesus? The alienated are united, the broken are healed, the outcast are invited, the worthless are welcomed, and the unlovely are loved. I love the story in Luke chapter 8. It's in actually Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where there was the woman who was bleeding, and she came into this crazy crowd, and she touched Jesus, and she was healed in the moment. And Jesus realizes that something has happened, that, that he, power has gone out from him, and he says, hey, what, what's happened? What's happened here? And we see this incredibly beautiful and powerful picture of how the unlovely became lovely. What I love about God's love is this, that in, in our world, when we're dirty, to use that language, and we touch something else, we make it dirty. So if I'm changing my oil, and I get oil all over my hands, and I go in, give Dondra a big hug, and wrap my arms around her, what happens to her? She then becomes dirty too. But, but the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ that should be something that resonates and sits in our minds and our hearts over and over and over again is this amazing switch that happens in our world with Jesus is that when the broken and the hurting and the dirty and the sinful and, and the woman who's actually had done nothing, but she, she was just bleeding. It was the culture that called her dirty. When, when they come and touch Jesus, what he's able to do is make the unclean clean. That no one in this world has that power to do. And that's how powerful God's love is for you and me, that when we would come into his presence and recognize who we are, he doesn't say to us, fix it, get better, live better, try harder. He says, I love you. And as we reach out to touch him, he then makes us clean. When Jesus stepped into the world, he flipped the script. When the alienated, the broken, the outclassed, the worthless, and the unlovely come to him because of his love, because that is who he is, he can make you and me lovely. And the reality of scripture is that those who receive that love will then be those who give that love. That the best receivers of love are the best givers of love. I wonder how good you are and I am at receiving the love of God. I, I, I mean, not just knowing about it. I mean, really receiving it. Allowing God to say, I love you. In the worst moment of your life, for God to say, I love you. Well, I would love to hang here because 
this is what leads us on. But what we're talking about in this series is how these things then become the fruit in our lives. And so I want to ask this question now, how does it look like for us to express God's love? And we have to admit that this kind of love, if we look at those three things, that love is the essence of who God is, it's not turned on and off, and that it's not earned, that those three observations about God's love, those things do not come naturally to us. I mean, we just, we do not think that way. Agape love, by definition of itself, is not something that comes from human origin. In fact, this is really our problem when it comes to loving. Our bent is towards loving ourselves and what we want. We forgive only to be forgiven. We encourage only to hear someone encourage us back. I'm sure none of you do that, right? Like, oh, you look really good today, Steve. Steve what I really want Steve to do is go, oh, yeah, Brian, that shirt is sharp on you, bro. You, like, that, this, this is what we do. We, we, we're, we're so messed up and manipulative in our own minds and hearts that we just do things for us. Or we, we love half-heartedly. So a text message is more important than the person we're with. Or, the TV show we're watching is more important than a phone call that's coming in. Einstein has this great quote. I love this quote. He says, any man who can drive safely while kissing a girl is simply not giving the kiss the attention it deserves. I love that. And that's how we do love. If it benefits me, then fine, but we, 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 kinda, we, don't, we don't get the enormity of what it means that we've been loved. Now, here's what usually happens in moments like this in sermons. I, I'm, I'm really excited about these next seven minutes here, so I need you guys to focus in, because something changed for me, actually, this week as I was wrestling with this idea. So here, here's what we do. I, I bet we've been doing this all summer. You're right, Brian. I, I love for me, I want to do a better job of loving other people. I'm hoping the next seven minutes of this sermon, you're going to tell me how to do that. You're, and, and you're right, I need to put down my phone, I need to answer the call, I need to be more caring of other people. And we, we start to say things like, I'm going to stop being selfish, and, and I'm gonna, I want to love people better. And I want to suggest to you that maybe one of the reasons people might look at the summit or even we might look at each other and say, yeah, I don't know how loving we are, is that we're thinking about it all wrong. And responding to it that way is actually our problem. So let's jump to Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It's a great verse here that I want to just sit in for a moment. And Paul wrote this in the book of Romans, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So we just unpacked a microcosm of what God's love is, that it's the essence of who he is. God is love, and he can't turn it on and off, and he loves those who are unworthy. He, makes, he loves all the time. He can't help it. It's not something we can earn. And so here, what Paul then says is he says, let, let me unpack what that means for you. 
So let's, let's really dig into this verse for a second. So because God's love, I just talked about what that is, right, has been poured into our hearts. So think about it, think about it this way, that basically what is happening is God's love is now in, it's coming and flowing into our hearts. So the verb tense there, this is important, we, we read it as a past tense, but it's actually in the perfect tense that it's been poured into our hearts, what it means is that there's this continual flow that God is pouring into our hearts. So it's not like necessarily a cup that's being filled and then finally it's full. It's like a continual flowing and pouring that is going into this cup. I, li I like better saying it this way. Like think about it's the Mississippi River that's continually flowing. And I love the picture of the Mississippi River because imagine you went and jumped into the Mississippi River and it we're able to somehow stand in the middle, and that was God's love. This is what it would be like, that that's what's happening. The powerful, most amazing love that God could display is flowing into your heart, and it is never stopping. That overwhelming, all-powerful, the essence of God himself is now flowing in and through and changing us. And the Spirit, the last part of that verse, is what has been given to us to help us grasp, understand, experience, display this agape love. So, what does that mean? It means this. God wants you so deeply to experience who he is so that he can ultimately change us, not into people who love every now and then, but into people who are loving. Hear this one more time, because this is where we're going to sit in for just a minute here. He doesn't want to change us into people who do acts of love every now and then or in situations or when it makes sense for us. He wants to transform us to be like him in the image of who he is into people who are loving. Dallas Willard, a writer, preacher, he wrote this. He said, our aim under love is not to be loving to this or that person or in this or that kind of situation, but to be a person possessed by love, river flowing through, as an overall character of life, whatever is or is not going on. The occasions are met with from that overall character. I do not come to my enemy and then try to love them. I come to them as a loving person. Do you hear the shift there in the thinking? That, that we're not just going, hey, okay, oh, man, I gotta, I'm going to church today, and i got to try to love Steve. I'm going to work really, really hard to try and love Steve versus coming into church and saying, God, your, your love is flowing in and through me to help me become a loving person, whoever I encounter today. That that, that would be the overflow of my heart. So, so, again, this is how we're wired. So someone cuts me off in traffic, and I have to think, Okay, we, 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 we do this, we go, do I have to love them? Is that what Brian was saying on Sunday morning? So you're driving out of here and you're about to get on that crazy outer road. Thank you, Missouri MoDOT, for building our exit here. We appreciate you. We love you. We love you because we are loving people. We don't just love in circumstances, right? That's the point. So someone cuts you off and, and we start to ask ourselves, well, am I supposed to love them? Which is the wrong question. What if someone hurts my feelings? We go, 
Well, do I have to love them? What if it's even worse or harder? What if someone betrays me and we ask, do I have to love them? But in, in Romans 5.5, 5, what Paul is calling us to and challenging us to is he's saying that the essence of that kind of question misses the point. Think about the parable of the Good Samaritan with me just for a second. So you have these three different people that walk by. Someone who has been robbed is almost at the point of death. And the priest and the Levite are first the ones who walk by. And what they do is they ask, should I love him? And they convinced themselves the answer was no. And then the Samaritan walks by, not because they're saying, is this a moment when I should love? But I would argue the picture here is because love is who they are, that they are a loving person. Our aim, church, our aim under love is not to be loving to this person or to that person or in this kind of situation or in that kind of situation. We should not try to figure out if we should love that person, but try to become the person who would love them. It is not something you choose to do, but what you choose to be. And the only way we can choose to be that is if we're experiencing the God of the universe whose essence is love. And, and so being a people who are loving versus people who choose to love in situations and circumstances, it begins where? It begins by receiving. By having the Mississippi of God's love overflow in our hearts over and over and over and over and over again because that's what it's doing. To trust that the Holy Spirit, that that, that love has been poured into our lives and he's trying to help us understand. And so to experience and reflect the very heart of God in your mess that he broke into this world to love you, to give you love, and to make you loving like him. And how do we know, how do we know that God loves us? <laughs> because he died for us. And, and we say it over and over and over again in how we sing, in how we preach, in how we pray. But church, may, may, may we never be satisfied with what that means. John Stott, a preacher and writer, he said this, a person's life is his most precious possession. Consequently, to rob him of it is the greatest sin we can commit against him, while to give one's own life on his behalf is the greatest possible expression of love for him. And this is what Christ has done for you and for me. Might we sit in it, receive it, be overwhelmed by it, Until we start to experience this transformation in our minds where we're stopping to look at situations and we're starting to say to God, God, if your love, may the essence of who you are become the essence of who I am and may I become a loving person. Because the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is being poured into our lives from the essence of who God is, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness 
and goodness, gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That even actually in all those things, it's not just situational things. They then are becoming, because of the Spirit in us, the essence of who we are. And so let us ask this morning, are we loving people? Are we sacrificially, supernaturally loving each other and those who are in our lives because that is who we are? If not, it's probably because we're not receiving and enjoying and basking in the great love that God has for you and for me. I hope you enjoyed this series. I really do. I hope you've been challenged. I have. And I want to remind you just one more time. If you try to do these things, you'll be frustrated. If you want them to come quickly, you'll be frustrated. The call, my friends, is to walk by the Spirit. That's the call Paul was putting on everyone who was hearing and listening and engaging in the Galatian church. He was saying, walk by the Spirit. I'll end this series and our time this morning with this quick illustration. Two trees that I want you to remember. Two pictures of what we're called to be in, in light of fruition. So to honor my dear friend, uh, DJ, who's already excited about Christmas, our first is an ornament tree. An ornament tree. If you want to go ahead and put that up for me, Kathy, that'd be awesome. Do we have the picture? I don't have the picture. I know. All right, I need you guys to think about the most gaudy Christmas tree you can think of, okay? So imagine you've got your big tree here. It's got the tinsel all around it. It's got different colored lights. Some are flashing, some aren't. Maybe it has two stars at the top, right? It, and, it, and, and in some ways, you might look at it and go, man, that is an amazing tree. It looks so great. And, and I think in some ways, sometimes we approach this kind of series and, and walking by the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives like an ornament tree. We're like, today I'm going to put on the ornament of love, and today I'm going to put on the ornament of self-control. And we try to put on all these things to make the tree look beautiful. But in essence, that tree is dead. It's dead. And, it, and no matter what you put on it to make it look good, there is no life in it. Versus, think with me now, <laughs> a simple apple tree, which is planted in the ground and has grown to have beautiful green leaves and just apples everywhere. And the picture of what God is saying to all of us this morning is this, is that you don't need to make yourself look pretty. Just come plant yourself in the river of my love. And from you, I will bear the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Just plant yourself here in me and, and, and walk by the Spirit. And therefore, you will bear the fruit of who you long to be. And so church, let me remind you what I said 10 weeks ago. 
If you long to experience the fullness of the Christian life, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Let's pray. Almighty God, this week when we think, should we love? Uh, would you just remind us that what you're trying to do in us is so much greater and deeper than that? That you're actually desiring to change the very essence of who we are and make us like you and, and make us loving? And Father, may we be surprised when that starts to flow from us. And that's our prayer today, that as we walk by the Spirit, that there would be these moments in our lives where it would not be because of our effort, because of our strength, or even because of our weakness and our struggle, that, that Father, we would just see, because of our trust in what Christ has done for us on the cross, that the fruit that would be born in our lives would come from our deep experience of your love, and we wouldn't even be able to explain it. But we pray that you would make us a people who are loving, and who are patient, and who are kind, gentle, faithful, self-controlled. Father, bear that fruit in us. We trust you. That's the only way. We're just asking. Help us to walk by the Spirit so that we might be that fruit tree. And help us repent when we find ourselves being like an ornament tree. We pray that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.